Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to season five of And The Writer Is with your host, Ross Golan. Before I give my spiel, I want to acknowledge the music army that listens to this podcast every week. Since starting this, the And The Writer Is community has literally changed the history of the music business by helping pass the Music Modernization Act, gotten songwriters added to Album of the Year for the Grammys, and still is advocating for positive changes for our industry on a daily basis. So thank you and congrats. Now, as you know, I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Songwriters. Think about your favorite hit song and what makes it an earworm. You could be the writer behind the next song and that goes viral. Enter the 20th annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitars and Strings and CMT. You could win several prizes, including the one-on-one mentoring session with L. King, myself, and fellow and the writer is producer Joe London. The lyric-only winner will score $2,000 cash and mentoring session with award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Send in your best songs now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's humble Grammy-nominated, modest multi-platinum, unpretentious songwriting superstar has done the impossible multiple times. The impossible is not the many number one songs this guy's pen, but it's the ability to break an artist, like really break an artist. This is his bread and butter. Whereas others aim for high floor artists, this guy gets in the proverbial mud, plants the proverbial seeds, and proverbially grows these people from virtually nothing to worldwide music giants. For example, the Chainsmokers and Shawn Mendes, and the future Alec Benjamin and Dermot Kennedy. From the other coast, this understated New Yorker is a mentoring publisher and congenial co-writer and a devoted husband. (laughs) I'm running out of adjectives and superlatives and the writer is my friend Scott Harris. Wow. That is a lot of adjectives. 
That's what I'm saying. Like I feel, I feel like it's a. We've got like nine song titles out of that intro. I'm gonna like replay that back and give you a couple songs out of that. Yeah, cool. cool. I'll take one percent. Um, okay, so uh, as one of the only uh, last people who still holds on to, I'm a New Yorker. Um, what is it like being a New Yorker in the music industry in 2019? I would, uh, I would definitely be lying if I said it was easy. Um, it feels, I don't know, it's, it sometimes feels crazy, but sometimes is refreshing, honestly. Like, I want to I wanna, like, be somebody who you know, artists and writers can come to in New York and feel kind of fresh, which, is, which feels good to me. Like when people come to New York and they're like, oh man, like I haven't been here in a while or like I love the energy here and there's just like not a lot going on. So I kind of can take them for a few days on a little like songwriting journey and somewhat of a break from LA. Amazing. Um, so how did, you, how did you start? I mean, well, let's, let's talk. Okay. Uh, as I like to say, you were born. I was born. Okay, so... Uh... <laughs> I was born in New York City. Um, I guess I moved to Long Island when I was three or four years old. My father was a pharmacist, and my mother was an English teacher. And I don't know, I guess I kind of was like, as like a three or four year old, just like playing the piano, strumming the guitar, and just like writing melodies on the piano and not really trying to figure anything else out. I think that's kind of what like my parents were like. Whoa, he's like not copying anything. He's just like making his own shit. And do you think your your mom being an English teacher? I know like Lauren Hill's mom was an English teacher, and you know some of these people who are great songwriters come from parents who are who are teachers who teach yeah, literature. I mean, I, I is that think, is that a coincidence? No, I think there's there's definitely some influence there. I mean, like more so, I was making music, and my father is a jazz musician also, and he kind of was like, you know. He saw me playing and like he saw me like kind of starting to incorporate like major sevens and stuff. And he was like, Don't do that. Like I played jazz my whole life. He's like, if you could just like stay away from those a little bit, like it'll be more contemporary. It might actually be a profession. And he's like, and I want you to like really focus on lyrics. He's like, I see you playing music, but like nobody's ever gonna listen to you if you don't have words. And like think from there, like I kind of like took a little bit of my so mom's. He was teaching like, you how to write songs even at that point. He was kind of like, I think as any father does, is like this is what I did, and this is how to take a step into the other direction to maybe make it more of a profession. Um, not that he like wasn't happy with the music he was creating. Like it's some of the craziest shit I've ever heard, and it's out there, and it's it's there was lyrical content to it. But yeah, I mean the way he pushed me into like just make. He's like even if it doesn't make sense in the beginning, just have some type of lyrics. He's like that way, like when friends and family come around, you can at least like entertain them a little bit. No one's gonna like want to listen to you just like play some piano. I guess he like learned that from like being in jazz clubs and people like, you know, having drinks and talking in the background. Yeah. The talking in the background part <laughs> is that it's a real it's not, I know you've been in bands that will get there, but have you ever played a show where people just talk over you and you're trying to play like that intimate song? Never. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. So many of those shows. I mean, I did I guess like at the end of high school. Or even in high school, even as I had my like my high school band, I was I started to do like open mic nights as like my singer songwriter project, and like an open mic night in like the middle of Long Island on like a Tuesday night is like six people. 
you know, yeah. at, at Six most. Six people and they're all waiting to go up on <laughs> they're stage. They're all waiting to go up. Yeah. And it's like yeah. maybe like a couple of your friends are there. And it's like even the, your friends are talking through it, you know. And you're just trying to like figure anything out to make anybody give a shit. What's the first <laughs> song that's like your song? First song. Um, I did a song that was like my high school band, which was like, you know, my best friends. And is this me, Low Tide? This is Low Tide. Okay, so this what's is, the story of Low Tide? Because that's the first time that we see anything in your, you know, story. Yeah, I mean, Low Tide is like high school band. I guess like my, my father had a program called like Acid Pro. I don't know if you remember the program. <laughs> he didn't really know how to work it either. And I didn't know how to work it either. But he's like, here it is. And it was in my basement with like a little setup with a shitty mic and a piano. And like, I kind of was going down into the basement and just like spending hours creating and producing and writing all this like random, kind of like random, which are like pop songs really. And I guess by the time I was done, like fast forward a few months, there was like 13 or 14 songs that like basically every song was like clipping and like sounded horrible, but like they were pop songs and that kind of just like showed my friends who were like, one was a guitar player, was like a fish head. And like, I was like, dude, can you just like make it more pop? And like my friend played the drums and he was like, pretty good drummer, like not never going to be a professional drummer. And my other friend was a bass player. And we kind of just like started jamming the songs that I had done on like Acid Pro and like pressed up a CD, sold it in our high school. And like, that was kind of the birth of Low Tide. Is it good? It's terrible. Really? I mean, not the, even the writing part? The writing, like, there's, like, melodic moments where I'm like, that's nice. But, like, lyrically, it's, like, oh, it's tough. It's, 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 I could never listen to that right now and feel good about myself. It's, it's really strange when you listen to those first things because that's before you... It's before you know what you're doing, right? Oh, yeah. And and even when you listen to famous music, like the radio, if I listen to music from you know the early '90s or mid '90s, I mean probably even through that, I still think of you know I still think of it as magical. Totally. And so whenever I listen to music now, it's like it, you start thinking. It, you about start it. analyzing. Totally. It, you know, when did you start understanding that this could be a profession? Or is it I way later? I, I think it, I think it's way later. I think like I still like in high school like it was it was fun. I was like it would be cool to like be in a famous band and be a rock star. But like I was also like it'd be cool to be on the Knicks. You know, like I had like no <laughs> idea what I was doing. Like I was like I could I, be a three point specialist. <laughs> totally. I don't, you know I know I'm Jewish, but I could be the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so like yeah, I I I started like imagining it being a possibility, but like never a reality kind of yeah. until I guess you know. At, after high school, when I was like, I should go to college for music. Yeah. Um, but I think. What was, it was your still, degree in? It was actually in music business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From I, SUNY, right? Yeah, from SUNY Oneonta. Right. I, um, Actually, going back there in a couple of months to like do a little little lecture, wow. which, should, which, should, which should be fun. Congratulations! Yes, um, but I, I really don't know if I learned a ton there. Honestly, like I really just I made a lot of friends. I feel like sometimes I like lost lost some time in college um, because I was you know partying is super fun, but like taking classes that like don't pertain to anything I do, and like you can't fully teach songwriting more so than just getting in the room. So even when I work with like newer writers and artists, you know, who, who are at, in NYU, I'm like, oh, it's really cool that you're like in NYU and you're like already doing sessions. Like, I feel like I missed like four years being like upstate New York smoking weed. Not that I would give that up. It was awesome. But like, there's something about just being in the major city, as you know, to like develop the craft. Yeah. When you were in college, oh, wait, is that when the Scott Harris Project or was that Scott, also? Scott Harris Project was like 
pieces of low tide turning into like a solo thing. It was like never uh-huh. like I don't think the music was even any different. It was just like now I'm gonna go perform it without you guys. Who introduced you to the idea of co-writing? <sighs> that came like a lot later for me. I wish I wish it came sooner. Like I had been doing Scott Scott Harris project and like writing everything a hundred percent for a while until like one of the band members was like, I want to try to write a song. And I was like, okay, let's try that. And there was like one co-written song on like, you know, one of the albums for, for a little well, bit. You, you were releasing it yourself. I was releasing it. My, yeah, everything was released myself. Even anything I did in like the Warner-ish deal that I had, like was still like never came out under Ex- that. Explain what that is. So I met somebody early in my career who was a lawyer who I guess had a JV with Tom Wally um, at the time. And, you know, basically you know, on his track record of like, you know, finding some new talent and being the lawyer of some super cool bands, convinced, you know, Tom Wally to let me make a record pretty much was was how that happened. And I guess the the whole entire time was like maybe like eight months to a year of like being in the studio, like kind of trying to figure out what the sound was, which I ultimately think never happened in retrospect. Um, but the best thing ever was honestly when Tom Wally and crew were just like, you know what, just like do your own thing. And I was like, okay, sweet. I don't even know if I like these songs anyway. So let me just like go out and try to do a new thing. Um, and which I just like made a bunch of new songs and recorded them with a friend. And that's actually like all the Scott Harris project music that's online. Wow. Yeah. Um, did they fund it or was it yeah. some stuff that you were funding they were distributing they, it? They funded it. They funded like, I was living in New York. I was like during college, I took a semester off. And they paid for like me and one of the band members to like go out and like live in LA for like you know a couple months. And wow, so and I didn't they, realize you were out here during that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was Where kinda, did you record it? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember what it was called, but I made the I made the music with DJ Lethal from Limp Biscuit. Wow. Which is which was a crazy. Which like I was honestly super excited about, not because I was like a big Limp Biscuit fan, but because like he had done like. House of Pain and like Sugar Ray. And I was like, this is a crazy combination. Like, this could be amazing. Like, I'm like a singer songwriter guy. Like, I love, like, I grew up on like hip hop shit. So I was like, this could be like the perfect like combination of like what could be cool. And it just wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that like, so obviously this is your story and not mine, but same sort of thing where my first album comes out because I do a distribution deal with. A major distributor, and then they funneled it through their system. But um, I, during that time, is when I met Fred Durst, <laughs> and Fred was like a big A and R guy, like could sign Puddle of Mud and signed like another one of the big bands. I'm sure someone's gonna hit me up about. Um, you know, he became like a big A and R guy. Totally, like, the guys from Limp Bizkit. You you forget that these are. You just when you're younger, you think ah, Limp Bizkit. These guys were savvy, really good musicians, and were actually really totally. smart business people. So when those guys are saying, and especially at that time, if he's like, "I'm gonna help you record," they were the biggest. In they the- were huge, and like Fred Durst was like coming by the studio to like listen. And I remember like, like not I didn't know like any like like legit musicians. And I'd be like, "Holy shit!" Like Fred Durst is in the room. Like that like blew my mind at first. Yeah. yeah. Did you uh, did you ever hang out with them socially at all? Not really. I mean, I did. I spent a ton of time at the studio, and like, honest, they smoked so much weed at the time that I it like honestly intimidated me. And I liked smoking weed, but like, I couldn't. As when I that was when I realized like I couldn't hang, and like I shouldn't be smoking, like because they were like 
just such like it just like bongs everywhere. And like I tried like a couple times to be like, yeah, I'm I'm like cool enough to like smoke weed with them. Cause I did like, you know, I did I did smoke a little bit. And like every time I tried, I was like, no, nah, this shit's too much for me. <laughs> How did you you ended up touring with Teddy I did. during this, which is amazing. Yes. But um how did that happen? And did you guys spend time together at that point? Like, do you guys realize? I so, mean, it's so weird in retrospect, considering how much you guys have done together. I mean, we had no idea at the time, but that was kind of like that was maybe like a year or two after that. After I'd made that like kind of independent album, I had been working with a new manager who I guess hooked me up with like William Morris and started like booking a ton of shit. Um, so I was doing like a lot of colleges and playing a ton of shows and like opening up for a lot of people. And I actually like had opened up for Teddy maybe like once or twice before that tour. And I guess that was kind of one of like the longer tours of the Scott Harris project. And I think the first, like, it might've been like two and a half months or maybe even three months and like the first like month and a half, like we didn't even talk. And then, you know, like the last like couple of weeks we started to become friends. And then I don't think we saw each other for like another, like five years. Are you still an artist? I can like I consider myself an artist in in a lot of ways. I don't think I'm like I have like zero desire to like get on stage and like perform my my music at this point, but like I think there's like artistry in in every writer. Like everyone's kind of got a craft and you know how they do it is essentially an artist. Do you write 100% songs anymore? I don't. Like I do like sit down and write songs, but every time that I think something is good, I'm like, oh shit, I better bring this into a session. Like I, I never have the urge to be like, I'm gonna put this out. But I do try to like be like, oh, can I can I still do it? Can I you know, do I wanna do it? Did you ever produce? Yeah, I mean I, I did. I like even like the early like Scott Harris project stuff, I I was like kind of co-producing and helping produce. I don't think I was ever like a finisher type of producer. Um, but even now, like in the sessions I do, like I still like end up doing a ton of production, especially like in New York. Like I'll start a bunch of ideas and like pass them on to the producer. Acid Pro. Acid Pro. No longer Acid Pro. Right. Um, <laughs> when you were on tour, did you tour with the? Because you said some of them were from you know your low tide. Are these still? Were you touring with friends? No, this was a couple of like hired musicians slash like friends I had met like in the local Long Island scene yeah. who like just wanted to also be in a band. Um, and they, you know, they saw a little bit of traction going on and, you know, some interest and the idea of like, you know, when you're younger, just like getting on the road is like an accomplishment. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of, we did a lot of touring like as a four piece band and then they were some good players. And then there was a lot of just like singer songwriter, acoustic guitar. Uh, trying to win over the crowd with one mic and one guitar. Yeah, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, I'm <laughs> still doing it today. Um, um, uh, when you were, that's really funny. It's like put me in like a whirlwind in my head, like a giant spiral of of anxiety. Um, when how much did performing in front of people change how you wrote? Oh, like a ton. Because that was the first time you had really toured. A ton. Like, I started to write songs, like, for the crowd and not for myself a little bit. Like, I was, especially as, like, one person and one guitar, I would try to, like, create moments of, like, even if you've never heard me, you could sing this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Or, like, and even if you've never heard me, this concept could be interesting. Yeah. Like, I remember I had this one song that I had written, and it was, like, about a roommate that I had lived with that I didn't like. And like, is it true? It, it's totally true. Um, <laughs> it was in college, um, and like, I, I wrote the song, and 
it just like translated immediately into like the college scenes. I would like open up the, the set and be like, I wrote this for like a roommate that I really don't like. If like anybody has ever like had that experience, like you know what it's about. And like immediately everyone's like right in. And that's when I was like, wow, I can like take pieces of my life and people will care more so than me like trying to make up a random topic. Do you teach that to, because you work with so many young artists, do you ever talk about that concept on, on like what, what it's like to tour the music that you uh, write? Totally. Like I even remember like in the very, very beginning of Sean, like some of the earlier songs being like, you know, you could try to have a part like this because, you know, he at the beginning when he was like opening up for some people and he only had like one or two songs, like people knew one song. And I was like, if, you know, we would write parts in there to be like, now the crowd can sing here. So I, yeah. I think, like, yeah, it totally translated. Um, so what? I don't even know what year we're at right now. Like, when you were touring, how how long did you tour, and when were you done with that? I think it was probably like I was like kind of slightly touring in college, maybe like two thousand six to like two thousand two thousand five to like maybe two thousand ten. There were still shows going on, and I think maybe ten was like the last like Scott Harris show. Something like that. Were you feeding yourself during any of that? I was not well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, an interesting I just wonder how you make a living as a touring artist. Oh, there was there was times where it was like you know, where I'd open up for like a semi-legit band or a legit band and like I would just like sell tons of merch and that would like last me because I was like taking in all the merch money. Um, so that was like kind of how I made money a little bit. And then I was like also doing like weird, like side hustle jobs, like New York city, like teaching guitar lessons and like, I, you know, there's tons of odd jobs that, that happened in between to like keep the lights on for sure. Did your parents ever question, you know, say, well, you should, you know, keep going cause you're, you're funding yourself or were they ever like, maybe you should. This you is, know. this is definitely like a, like a looming topic in my life because my father always was like, Never give up. Like you got, he's like, you're too good. Like don't, don't stop. I don't care what anyone says. Like he would have like let me like live on the street before I gave up. And my mom was like, you know, like I really don't want you to like not have any money or like not have a family. Like she was always one who was like, can't you could get a degree in something else? Like while you're still trying. My father was just like, I'm either gonna be like the biggest asshole or like be laughing. You know, like he's like, because I just know it's like inside of you. So like he was the one who was like, you got to. And my mom was like, be smart. And I think when I started to like make some some money, my mom was like, oh, like I knew it. I told you. Like I told you to stick with it. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Um, okay, so then you know, 2010, you're you're. Was there a final show where you're like, you know what? This is the last. This is the last Scott show. I don't think it was that, but I think I had. A it's a hard decision to be like, you know what? I've been striving to be an artist. I've been through bands. I've toured. I've been signed. I've been. Oh, really, it was like to say I'm it, throwing the towel. The, in in LA, there are so many artists who try to be artists for way too long. Totally. And they don't have a good grasp on where they are. And there's that fine line of, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to make it someday. And then, you know, they're they're in their forties, they're still playing with the same band they've played with for twenty years, and they still are playing the same venue they've played for twenty years, and they still don't have a deal. And or they still don't have a hit. You know, it's it's really hard to throw in the towel and and understand that that's not giving up on yourself. 
That was what, like, I don't know if it was like a defining show, but that was a, a crazy thing in my life because I think since high school through past college, like everyone, like everyone in my life knew me as like guy trying to like make it, you know? And a lot of people were super supportive and like I had millions of friends who like knew all the lyrics and I had legit fans who were reaching out on, you know, MySpace and whatnot. I know we spoke about MySpace earlier. And like, it just, it seemed like crazy to give up that identity. And that certainly was a pretty tough thing to, to, to deal with. Um, but because I had not really done a ton of co-writing, like I was kind of like before the last couple shows, I had been, I had been doing a little bit of co-writing for like some other stuff. And I kind of was like more excited about that, that I had never done that. And I was like, oh my God, like I can make all this music that like doesn't have to sound like a singer songwriter. And it was like, yeah, I'm like sad in one aspect, but like I'm inspired. I'm more inspired than I've been you know, like grinding it out, sleeping in the van, you know, like it just seemed like. Who was opening that door for you? Um, At the time I was signed with Mark Jordan and Ian McEvely at Rebel One. Um, They had been like doing my artist project with me and helping me out. And Mark at the time was, I think he still is, I'm not sure, working with Alex the Kid. And I think he was like, hitting that success with Alex where he's like in producer land and we had been like still like showcasing for labels a little bit and there was some interest but it like wasn't the right deal or wasn't the right fit and he was like you should like try you know writing to some of these like Alex the Kid beats um, and just see what happens and I wrote some terrible top lines over those songs but it like was inspiring to like hear some stuff on like hip hop ish beat and like watch his kind of like rise and watch Mark's rise with Alex and be like, oh shit, like I should, I should get into this. Like this looks pretty awesome. And like, I, I enjoy it. So that's kind of like how the world started to, to open. Do you remember any of those, those first top lines? Do you have any idea of what God, those were called? Because it's really strange when you go I to when I you try didn't. to when you tr- when you because <laughs> when you try to write when you try to write a pop song. After writing, being an artist, it it never works out how you think it is. So you start writing songs that you think are pop songs, and those <laughs> oh, are not pop songs. So I just remember bad. using shorty, all the, like using the word shorty in all those first I top used, lines. I used shorty. I used shorty. <laughs> Uh, and you can't take it back. <laughs> no, I, here's, this is amazing. Somebody gave me um, beats from the guy who was playing keys for Kanye. And it was the first time I had the same sort of thing. Um, it later turned out to be Jeff Basker. <laughs> and, I, and I sent in a song called, I might probably was called like Shorty. <laughs> Every song on the radio was Shorty this, Shorty totally. that. So like, you know, it, and that, that's what happens when you're aspiring, you chase trends. And then when you're older, you realize, oh, I'm going to just do what I did the whole time. But, but I, at the time, I just remember getting an email back through the, the guy who connected us, um, Dave Hoffman, if you're out there, hi. Um, and he goes, um, he gets this email and it's basically like, this might be the most racist song I've ever heard. <laughs> but I really just was trying to write a pop song. Uh, I'm so sorry for every, anybody out there that I've offended in this. Um, but um, so, you know, you go through this, this experience, it's inspiring, but you're still not writing in the same room. You're starting to write to beats. Totally. I, I think fr- from there, I, I, I started to like do some more co-writing um, and meeting some different people. Um, there was like kind of this little circuit of like New York writers um, 
we'd like kind of get up and like write to like four in the morning every night over like different producers tracks we were getting um and kind of all became friends and kind of all used shorty together for a few years before we realized <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the way but like i think there was you know a lot of a lot of development in that in that space like from the track world and then being like wait like why am i writing to tracks like i wrote all these songs on acoustic guitar like yeah. this is how it's good like why am i doing this and then it's you know it's the learning process of like what gets you excited anyway versus like what's trying to get people excited. I mean just looking through your discography cuz it really starts in 2011 the post artist phase. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's obviously a lot of the trying times in that. <laughs> Tons. But in 2014 you get a Jesse J cut and that starts to become like and, and at that time she's a big big artist. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how you can leverage these things. Totally. Um even when they're not a single cuz I don't think that was a single. It was not. No. Um, when did you write your first single? It kind of feels like it was with Sean in 2000. That was like the first like moment of like single, like in the world, like here's a song that like people like are identifying like more so than you just wrote a song with X artist for sure. Um, you know, there was like, you know, everyone's got like the little victories of like this song is now doing this and that makes you happy. And then you get another one, you're like, wow, this is what makes me happy. And then you go through that whole chase. But yeah, I think like Life of the Party was the first shocking song to me that like I had no expectation of it really working at all. And like waking up and it like being number one on iTunes and being like, and like when I, when that was like kind of still a legit thing um, and being like, holy shit, like it can happen. You know, that, that was that moment. I mean, what's, what's crazy mm-hmm. about that, and, and this is how behind your back I've described this moment, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, you know when you've 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 been writing your whole life, and when I said in the intro the idea of most people aim for high floor artists, and you you know it's like I remember when I got that email of writing with the redhead headed like uh, acoustic guitars from the UK, but I had a session with CeeLo and I chose CeeLo over who's Ed Sheeran. Totally, you know, Good and call. and it was a. <laughs> At the time, I was like, you know, your your fortune. You know, you get in those rooms, and if you can get into those rooms, you go to the rooms with the names. But if you can't get into those rooms, you end up writing with a lot of artists that are on the same level as you as a writer. Mm-hmm. And the risks you took at the time were not necessarily risks; they were just sort of a product of being in New York. And here's an artist who's there. And so, this is the connection that you get from a kid who's on Vine who had gone around to a couple labels, didn't get you know signed to a lot of labels, ends up getting signed to one label, and you end up writing with this kid. There's no way, given, given the same parameters right now, would you take that same session? I would love to look you in the face and say yes. Um, I mean, it certainly, I, I think about that. You know, Obviously, people send a lot of emails like, check out this. I, I can open up my email and see seven, you know, this is the next Sean Mendez, you should check it out. Um, but I, I certainly listen to all that stuff because I know that there is that type of artist in there. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the beautiful things for me about being in New York. I get to do that a little bit more. Even on the writer-producer side, like I can take a little more risks because I'm not like missing out on a, on a crazy session for it. You know, I can... I can take a little bit more time. And I think that's also just going back to the New York thing is a little bit of a special thing there too. And certainly how I met some of the writers I work with too. 
songwriters. You could be the grand prize winner and score up to $5,000 in cash, one of 12 Martin guitars, as well as a mentoring session with L. King, Joe London, or myself. The lyric winner will win an opportunity to be mentored by award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Enter the 20th annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitar Strings and CMT now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. NSAI, the National Songwriters Association International, is one of the biggest supporters of songwriters and played a major role in helping pass the Modernization Act, a historical piece of legislation that allows you to have a future as a songwriter. This is your opportunity to experience industry access, one-on-one mentorship with hit songwriters, and fund your creative passions. Song and lyric-only categories are open now for submissions. We can't wait to hear your songs. And you know, we were backstage at Saturday Night Live when Sean was performing, and and you had said to me that, you know, the you guys, your journey is really together, mm-hmm. and you guys trust each other. And when it comes to even just judging performance or songs or whatever, your your careers are so intertwined. Totally, at least on the successful train. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Do you see yourself as a a co-writer, a brother, a mentor, a friend? I think it's you know, like how a, is your relationship with this person that went who when you met him was it's, you know it's, Sean the Vine kid to being like it's definitely like a, a brother thing for me because it's like we we kind of just like we trust each other and we like learn from each other and it's kind of like. This because the rise is kind of like a similar thing. Like I, I'm, I'm brutally honest with him, and he respects me for that, and he's brutally honest with me, and I, you know, and it's, and it's just kind of like this mutual thing, where I don't know. It's like I think you have like certain co-writers in your life where you're like, I really like writing with them. Every time we write, we get something good. And like for me, like Sean is one of those people. Like regardless of his like journey to the top of the world and how much it, how much fun it is to write with like a big artist who's who's killing the world it's like we generally we, we click so it's just like it's enjoyable no matter what and i think that's the reason why like he'll like facetime me and be like yo check out this idea it's not like we need a session to be like let's lock in and make it all official it's like let's just keep doing what we do right you should celebrate yourself every day but some days you should celebrate with jewelry whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, Chainsmokers comes out around the same time, maybe a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. And you have Don't Let Me Down, which, you know, is 
becomes their, I think it's their first like number one song. Cause I think before that they had Roses and mm. I know they had, you know, Selfie. But that's another example where Chainsmokers records this song while they're signed to Republic. They get dropped from Republic, get their masters back, and they move it over. There's no way that the group that, that does Selfie is somebody that you're banking on is going to be one of the biggest groups of 2015, 16, 17, you know? Totally. Um, being part of that journey, what is that like? I mean, that that's a crazy one too. Um, that one has a lot to do with, you know, also being in New York and at the time, you know, working a ton with Emily Warren, we were writing, you know, two or three songs a day, every day, like just like nonstop, the two of us, just like figuring out whatever, whatever it was. I would pull her into something, she would pull me into something. And that was kind of a day where she had she had written a song that had come out with the Chainsmokers, I guess, like a few months before and like kind of developed a relationship with them. And she's like, let's just try a day with them, see what happens. And it wasn't a session where I was like, yes, like, can't wait to go. And it's just like, sure, I, you know, Emily says they're good. Like, well, let's do it, you know. Um, and I think from, I mean, I don't think even, you know, the Chainsmokers themselves could imagine the life of that song. But, you know, it's just, I don't know, kind of just like happened. <laughs> I think there's an important part of this story, and um, you know we can talk about it if you're comfortable. But when that song was number one, it was a really hard time for you and your family. And I want you to explain the meaning of that song, because even life, you know, no, life totally. of the party goes number one on iTunes. It's not the same thing as the biggest song in the country, maybe the world at the time, um, and. The parallel of what was going on in your career versus what was happening at home, I think, is important. For yeah, no, to totally. That was like, that was certainly like the most surreal time of my life. Um, it's kind of like as my father was passing away, and yeah, definitely hard to talk about that. But um, it was kind of like this weird validation of like, because he did see the song go number one. Um, after like all these like trials and tribulations of like. How are you going to feed yourself in this career? So it's kind of like him seeing it and being like, "You're good." Definitely hard to talk about, but it was kind of like the moment where it all felt like this is all going to work out, and it's very sad. But like, it would be sadder if you missed this. To me, it's kind of how it felt. It's truly the. Uh, it's it's hard to explain. You know, there aren't a lot of things that mark the moment of having a number one song or that, you know, having the success. And you know that that if you're, you know, I mean, you grew up in a, a Jewish family from the East Coast. Like yep. if, if you have that kind of song, then you know that if, if you're smart, you can be taken care of and your family can be taken care of. And um, most of our parents that are supportive, you know, one of them being supportive, one being kind of supportive, you know. <laughs> It's a, it's that moment where all the people who say like, well, maybe you should look at another job or whatever, and, and you know, there's always that one or two people who who were there for you during the, the rise that you know. It's sharing it with those people that mark that moment more than totally, you know, chart positions totally or and anything and else. Every time like I still have a song like come out or do anything, it's still like I have that in the back of my mind, or I'm like. Oh, that's frustrating. Like my dad can't enjoy this. Like I, that always that always comes into my mind. 
on the other hand, like if if you know the fact that he saw it, totally is is everything. I mean, yeah. You know, even once you know, it's the fact that it's been repeatable for you is already you know super unusual for a human being. Right. You know, there's when a song's number one, there are two other writers, three other writers that can share that moment with you on the planet. That's it. It's not Crazy. like some it's not something where you know the label can applaud, the artist can applaud, maybe the artist is one of the writers, but for the most part the only people who can share it are you and your co-writers. Yeah. At that moment. And that's like the part that's so celebratory. But the fact that your dad was able to see you know reaching the pinnacle of a career is I mean no it's, no, it's... no no even you know Awards and all the other stuff. That's I don't know how you beat that moment. Totally, so it, I think that's I, incredible. I'm totally thankful that it worked out like that. When you wrote with Sean for the next album, Illuminate, which was obviously a very big album, um, because you guys write closely together, are the songs at all based on your life, or are they all based on his, or are they not? They're they're trying they're trying to be on his, uh, uh, with like you know the idea of that people can relate to it. I think so. I think we like draw from his life most of all, but I, I I think there's always those moments where it's like, oh yeah, that's happened to me, and that's happened to this person, and that's happened to this person. So I mean, what what's amazing about Sean is his like desire to be like an old school singer songwriter and tell stories and tell the truth and like. I kind of get to help him tell the truth a little bit and then, you know, see whatever, see how it relates to the outside world. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, at this point he had had stitches. He had had some songs that had, you know, for himself Mm -hmm. had been really big. And obviously you guys had to have a unique relationship. Treat You Better is really the first song that you guys get to experience together that does what you would hope they all would do at radio. Totally. You know, Um, I guess at that point, that becomes also when you're a songwriter and you you ring the bell once, you kind of hope that you're not a you know a fluke, yep. if you will. Mm. You know, what kind of validation is it to have? You know, this is at that point. You know, your second third that that hit. was that was an amazing moment. Not not only because of that, but because you know I had written a lot of the first album with Sean, and. I was obviously super excited that Stitches happened because we were such good friends and watching it kind of like rise and take over the world was was fun to watch and knowing that we were going to write more songs together like felt good. But like it kind of felt like validation and like, oh, I'm doing the right thing with Sean. Because I always like did, I didn't want to have the feeling like, am I like steering him in the wrong direction? Like I know he trusts me, but like that's a pretty big responsibility on this, you know, with, given the stage that he's on. So that song to me was like, Okay, like we do kind of know what we're doing together a little bit. Yeah, um, I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, I don't want to skip too far forward, but during all this, you have you have Rachel. Mm-hmm. How do you have? Uh, it's funny because when you walked in, you're like, "Ah, oh, you do more than anybody else to me," <laughs> and I always think, "Man, no, nobody does more than Scott Harris." <laughs> you know, <laughs> at least that's what it looks like. And you know, how are you able to maintain? 
with all this music that's starting to come out and all and touring and all the stuff, because you know, I mean, you were on tour with Sean too a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, how do you maintain uh, any sort of personal life? I mean, I think we we do a good job of we do spend a lot of time together. Like even with with a lot of the traveling and stuff like that. Like Rachel does does come and hang and. What's really like great about her, other than the million things I could name, you know, and, and take up many hours of the day, um, is she tends to have a good vibe with a lot of the writers and artists herself. So it's easy to like, you know, blend the worlds. Like I remember, like when Emily was coming over every day, like Rachel and Emily like had and have an amazing relationship where it's like they're they're friends, they're good. Like I could go do another session and like Rachel and Emily are hanging out. Or and, and same thing with Sean. Like we'll you know make a record upstate New York and like Sean Jenny would be like, where's Rachel? Like how come she's not here? Like people want her around, which you know I want her around too. But it makes it it makes it easier to yeah. like when when the vibe is right between everybody and and doesn't seem like a forced thing. There's nothing holding me back. Also just a big ass song. <laughs> do you start to assume that um, do you feel like it's easy? No, I, I don't. I don't think anytime any song comes out, you're like cross your fingers and like who knows, you know? Like you're like it. Could, it's it's nice when you have obviously, as you know, like a, a bigger artist releasing music, but you never know how it's going to be perceived. So I, I mean, it's exciting to have a song like that released into the world. I believed in it. I'm like, this feels like a a big song, but you know, it doesn't. I, I, even to where Sean is now, it's like. There's still, you know, there's been plenty of artists that have had big records that like put out a song and just like it doesn't happen. So sure. I don't think anything is a given in, in, in any situation. Um, I mean, that one in particular, like I said, it felt, it felt good. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, lots of other big songs, some more <laughs> badass artists. So we're actually with our, our friend uh, um, Sam Harris today. Love Sam yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously you've done a lot with him. Obviously, and that's my brother. Just kidding, that's not my brother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Have you ever met another Scott Harris? Um, not met, but I think like when Facebook first came out, there was a, a Facebook group of Scott Harrises. Sick. So like all the Scott Harrises would like talk to each other on the group. And uh, that's kind of a, the extent Scott. of the Scott Harris's that I know. There was like maybe like 50 of them and people would be like, I saw your name pop up and you opened up an eyeglass store, you know, like, yeah, right. like little weird like Scott Harris stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I asked that question. Um, I'm so glad I had a good answer. Okay, so the the third Shawn Mendes album comes out and again you have, you know, eight, nine of these songs on all these albums, 10 of these songs or whatever it is. Youth comes out featuring Khalid, and obviously that that did well. But um, In My Blood is a whole other level. Not to mention that when everybody's asking for songs that are urban, you know, we need an urban pop song, we need an urban pop song. If I fucking hear that again, I swear <laughs> to God. You know, it's like, can, can it be more urban? And here you come out with a song that is not urban in any way, and he's not an urban artist, and he's so relevant. He's relevant to the point of this song having meaning, and it goes, it gets Grammy nominated. I mean, do you feel any pressure to follow trends ever? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, in that, that's the biggest lesson in that for for me. Like, I I think we all like to not 
you know, at least talk out loud the sentence, like, we're not chasing trends. And sometimes it just happens accidentally. Like, once you hear that kind of, like, soca groove, it's easy to fall into that type of song that you know is about to happen. Um, but with that one in particular, I mean, that was the first song that we had written for that album. And Sean was the one who was like, it'd be cool to, he was like, he'd just been listening to like, you know, more stadium rock, Coldplay, like Kings of Leon, and like had seen a couple of those shows. And, you know, I'm a big Coldplay fan, Kings of Leon fan. So like, I kind of was able to be like, yeah, like make, make something like this. Um, and from there, I mean, we had written like probably like 50 other songs after that, but that song was the one where it was just like, whoa, this one means something. This feels like the rock thing. And we had like, the, the record actually didn't end up being as rock as it intended to be. Like there was like five or six that sounded like that. And ultimately we're just like, as the record process went on, listening to more music, getting inspired by more shit. And that was kind of the one rock song that hung on and it became like the most special one and like the obvious one that raised its hand before you know before the album came out. So many people try to, when they're writers, they try to show how much they can write, and that's such an understated melody. Mm-hmm. There's so much space, and it allows the listener to listen to the line, focus on what you're saying, and sing it back for the next time it comes around. Mm-hmm. It's structurally a very mature record for any artist, but everyone's always trying to show their technique off or how many lyrics they can write, and they're so afraid of rests. And that song is just not afraid. It's just sort of... (laughs) It was it sits in like, you know, after it comes out, you look like such like a genius, but like while it's happening, you're like Totally. Damn, this has a lot of space. Like, is the chorus good enough? Like, should it start with the chorus? Is that even the chorus? Like, it was like a lot of that during that song. And but some of that it, is exactly what it is. It's like this confidence game, mm-hmm. and it takes an artist being like, "No, this is what I want to say." It's probably a not, not a pitchable song. No, I don't know that you get that song necessarily. Well, maybe you would, but I think <laughs> most people when they pitch that song, no one would listen to the, to it and. And feel like it would be competitive, but yeah. if an artist felt like it was theirs, I think that you have a shot. Totally, I, I think also it's it comes from Sean being mature and him doing bigger shows and wanting to to be the guy in the stadium. It's like, how do you make songs for the stadium, not just like make songs? And, and that's song as a result of that too, for sure. It's back from your touring. Right. It's the same thing. Um, Death of a Hero for Alec Benjamin. I'm, I'm bringing up these two particular artists because they feel like they have a similar trajectory as what Sean had. But that song, you know, it it's it's so well written, and it's not like it, they didn't go to radio with it. But it's the kind of song that people talk about. You're still taking risks on those artists. Do you feel like when you go in with Alec, are you thinking, man, this is, you know, it's a new artist who's... It's, it it kind of depends on the artist. With with Alec, I had heard, I guess I had heard some of his music um, and I was just like really impressed. And I, I still, I like to get to that space where I'm like a little scared, where I'm like, oh man, like I'm going to, I'm going to try to work with Alec, but I don't know if I can help him. Like he might be too good or may not want to collaborate and... I, it was inspiring. It's like kind of like when you get into a session with like a writer you've never written with, and you get a little bit nervous, where you're like, "Oh man, like, am I going to be able to hang?" And you know, Alec doesn't have like a crazy track record at this point, but I, I just 
I just felt like he was really good. And we had written a bunch of songs before Death of a Hero, but like every single time we had gotten together, I had loved the song and I'd loved the process and thought he was a really, really smart writer. And that was just like, he, I think he had come to New York for five days to do a bunch of music. And that was like the one that stuck. What about Dermot Kennedy is also another one that's on this pretty crazy trajectory. Yeah, Dermot. Are you reaching out to these people? Dermot, Do they reach out to you? I think it's like a combination of both. Like with Dermot, it, it might have been like, "Do you want to do this session with Dermot?" Uh, his team wants you to work with him, and I'd be like, "Oh fuck yeah, I love Dermot. Like I love his music, like hundred percent." Like, and it's not like you said, it's like not the most obvious session. And like I had, you know, I'd talk to some friends and be like, "Have you written with Dermot?" And they're like, "Yeah, like." I don't know if he like is, likes to collaborate that much. And I'm like, here I am, like scared and intimidated. And I'm like listening to his lyrics and I'm like, oh, it's like this Shakespeare stuff. I'm not smart enough. But like, it's like a challenge a bit to like see what happens when you get in that room. And I think, you know, when you, when you write a good song with somebody the first time, there's always that little bit of magic. And I think with him, that kind of happened with Power Over Me. It was the first song we had written together. I had like just landed in London and like come straight from the plane, like looked terrible. Like he had like come from Ireland on a boat and we're just like, nice to meet you, man. And like that song kind of happened and like the relationship kind of developed from there. Yeah, I think both of those two, if I put my money on two guys, I'd probably put them on them. But speaking of putting money on people, how about Pink? She's a young writer. She seems like she's got some things going on. Um, those two songs are pitched. Mm-hmm. And she has an amazing ability to, when she writes, she writes. When she takes outside songs, she makes it feel like she wrote them. She's incredible. Totally. So I, I had I had one song with her. Um, I don't know if I realize how big she is. When you see these songs worldwide and you see what they do, did you know what you were getting into with Pink? No, not at all. Um, I mean, I knew that I was a fan of her like previous music, and I knew that like I had you know heard she's had like a million hits over the past like you know however long. So it's like an exciting moment of like here you are like getting to have a song with like an icon, you know, in in a lot of ways. So that was exciting. But like I like you said, until you like look at those numbers and see how people are reacting all over the world, you're like. Yeah, this person did not, you know, didn't start their career yesterday. You I know? mean, she moves so many <laughs> units, and I don't think people realize she's she's still like literally moving tons of physical units, yep. and plus streaming and all. And she's just one of the few artists with that really have that kind of fan base. But she's earned it. She's incredible. If I can't have you is on its way. I think it's number five today. It'll probably be number one by the time people hear this. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, what prevents you from wasting money and buying yachts? <laughs> um, Maybe you own yachts. I, I don't. don't I don't own yachts, but you know, I was like, I just like didn't have any money for so long. <laughs> you know, like I grinded for so long that I'm just like I still like feel like it can like be taken away or like that I still have to work, you know, and I still want to work and I want to like keep keep the dream alive in a lot of ways. You Is know? that why you work so hard, do you think? Mm, I think I work so hard because it, it, it's, it doesn't feel like work. It's like, it still feels like what I want to do. It's fun. Like, I don't think it's triggered by that at all. It's it's more so like, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing Dermot, you know, and, and working on a bunch of songs with them, it's like, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing that. Do you get envious? Um, I'd like to say no, but 
Certainly, which I think is like kind of like a lot of artists, you know, that's like an artist thing to like look at other people and be like, oh shit, they're doing this, they're doing this. And I, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have that, but... It I, seems like the person who's willing to go and write with a bunch of artists that are on their, their the budding part of their career would have an insane amount of confidence. <laughs> but I don't know if that that's like, I, you know, I, I don't... I, I think like, you know, you, you, even both of you guys know, like you write a lot of songs. Like, you know, you know like you'd love to think that you're going to get, you get up to the plate and knock it out every time. But there's plenty of times, more often than not, most times you don't. So it's like, how do you ever have the confidence? Like, you know, like you can be confident that you're going to be a nice person and like you're going to be a good vibe that day. But like in terms of like saying I'm going to write a, Amazing song and like it happened. It's just like I don't. I, who has that? How, how many songs do you write? Because it, it either either your batting average is is better than you're saying, or you're <laughs> writing a lot of songs. Um, I I write a lot of songs. I mean, I write a song every day. I think you do five, five days a week. Yeah, sometimes do four. You, do you take some time off at all? I do. I take I, and and being that I live in New York, I certainly get to be like, oh, maybe I'll only work four days this week or. I work three days this week, so I think that's kind of my New York is kind of my more off time and more time to like like you said like work with some younger artists that don't have the don't have the name yet. Uh, your publishing company has a total of one two writers now. Two three, writers. Two writers, and uh, <laughs> the first one you sign, Amy Allen, you get this. So you get their first two cuts, <laughs> if this is right, and I guess I'll ask her on her episode when that happens. <laughs> but you know, her first single is Selena Gomez, and then right after that is a song. I, and this might be wrong, but I, I follow her on social media. I think she posted something where it's like, I think, uh, without you, is that what it's called? Without you, without me, without me. Without me. I knew it was one of those. Um, I think without me is like uh, uh, maybe set the record for longest song in the top ten mm-hmm. ever, <laughs> or for the, or like for a female artist or something like that. Some some, some crazy some stat crazy like stat yeah. like that. That's your first signing. Shame on you. Yeah. How do you do? How do you? How did you meet Amy Allen and and? How are you? How do you do that? Okay, so I met Amy. I, I I knew I wanted to do some type of like publishing entity. I didn't really know what it looked like, um, but I honestly like started because it was I just it was so tough for me to like break as a songwriter. And I, I saw some of my, you know you and and other people like you know doing this kind of like sign sign a a writer publish them slash mentor them and like I, I always wished I had that I never had anyone to be like a, a like a legit writer to be like oh you should go in with blah 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 I always had like you know managers and A and R's but it's it's different when a writer vouches for you and I almost felt like I wanted to do it and it felt like a responsibility in a way because it was so difficult for me to break the doors down. Um, with her, I met her through, it's funny, the same lawyer that got me that first demo-ish deal with Warner. And I hadn't seen him, it had to have been like eight or nine years. And he like cold called me out of the blue and he's like, I found out your father passed away. And I just want to say like, so sorry, but I'm so happy you're killing it. And like, I always knew, like, I, I always knew you were going to do something. I told you, like, just to keep it going. And he's like, why don't you come in for, and he's like, let's do a hang. And 
I was like, hundred percent. This is the first person who like one of the one of the first people who really believed in me. Um, so I will I will I'll definitely go hang. Played me some stuff. Amy had like an artist thing that he played, and he was like, maybe you could try some stuff for her artist thing. And I was like, I don't know about her artist thing at the moment. It sounds cool, but she sounds exactly like Selena. Like at the very least, like we come in and like do some songs, and like she, you know, her voice is amazing, and her writing seems cool. Develop a little relationship and. The rest is. But how do you? How, <laughs> I know. But how did how did you? I can't take credit for her writing those songs. No, you know? of course, of course, of course not. But how how does somebody? You know, a lot of people ask. You know, how do how do I get music to you or to a publisher? And you know, or or you know, how do I get songs to artists? And for her to go from being signed to you to having Selena and Halsey, maybe two of the biggest female artists on the planet, how? Did they get the song? Did you send it? Did Zach send it? Your manager? Does it like? I think they were they were a little different. I mean, the Selena one was immediately out of the gate. You know, sent around. There was a couple other writers on the song. It was sent around like from the first like pass around. Like four or five artists wanted to cut it. Oh. You know, to even on like the very like early stages, it was like one of those where you just like knew. That like it was it was gonna happen. You just had to pick the right place for it. Yeah, um, that's fun. And then I think the Halsey one was Gabs, who yeah. it's a it's a it's a joint with APG and Gabs, yeah. who was working with APG at the time. I think sent it to maybe shout out Halsey. Gabs. Yeah, shout out Gabs. I don't I don't want to say how the whole thing went down for fear of being you know killed. Right. Don't. Okay. <laughs> so here we're gonna go to the next segment five for five. Yeah. I'm gonna name a human, and you can tell me. In a few brief words, a word, a sentence, something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I know we've talked about him a lot, but here's your message to him. Sean Mendez. Brother. Definite, definite brother. Emily Warren. Also, like, family. It's, like, genius, obviously. You know, songwriting genius and... Um, you know, amazingly gifted, but also like a family member. Your manager is Zach Gurka. Zach Gurka. I feel like I should talk more about Zach Gurka. I mean, he's, 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 he's my shot. I mean, he's the reason for everything. <laughs> um, best friend and also a genius. How he like kind of just makes it all happen, you know, and hardworking, smart, and just good. His job. There's certain people <laughs> in the business that when you talk to them, you you assume that they know more than you, just by their like <laughs> persona. And he's one of those guys where when he talks, it's just like, yeah, this guy knows the answer already. <laughs> totally. I don't know if he does or not, but my assumption is that he just most of the time actually does. But he has this like this wisdom that's that's really you know. It's funny because with Zach, and here's my chance to talk about him. He has had that wisdom and confidence since the day I met him when he didn't have a thing going on. Like he was always, he always is like could have convinced you of anything and that he'd been like working in the music business for 40 years when like he didn't know one person. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um let's do a let's do Amy Allen. Also like little sister. Um but it's like the same words. It's like gen- they're all geniuses. Like she's a she's a songwriting. She's hey, it says a lot know? if you're surrounding yourself around these people. I mean, like you know? she's so, you know, like we wrote a song yesterday, and I'm just like I get reminded. I'm just like you, you like have it. You're you're great. You know, like just smart writer, just like talented. Uh, Rachel, your wife, 
Final one. Rachel, in in one word, um, probably like my my life support in a lot of ways. Like the only reason that I'm you know more so than Zach here is because of Rachel. I mean, like she she definitely has you know she stuck it out. She was she was down to be with me before. I made a dollar and, you know, regardless of if I would have done music or if I would have like gone to law school, by the way, I was never going to go to law school. I'm just saying that. Um, or if I was going to like, you know, be a teacher or whatever I was going to do, she would have been down. She just, you know, she thinks I'm talented, but like, it's not really about that for her. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Um, it's, it, there are a couple of parts to this. One is that I asked you to do this probably during the first season-ish, you know, just in passing, like, you should do this. And it's amazing what happens if you if you don't do this podcast and that you just wait patiently because <laughs> since then you've had, you know, three more hits, a hit writer, you know, a number of other things that have happened just because um, that's the pace that you're on. And so I I, I hope I caught you... Um, early enough that we can do another one in a few years, you know, to kind of do our update. But uh, I like that it took a while for us to actually do this. Um, also, it's like listening to your story is the closest story, a more successful version of what my journey has been. Not sure. And it's, I think it's the idea of the search of. You know, a lot of people who are maybe our age, I don't, you know, you're raised playing an instrument and not a computer. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like you're going to go and you're going to play, you're going to play music. And if you sing, you're you're going to sing in public and you'll be the one behind the microphone. There wasn't an idea of co-writing or writing. There's not a lot of information for that for our era. Right. And we all ended up touring and trying to find our footing as artists in front of other people. And so to see how well you've translated your history as a writer and an artist and been able to bring that into session after session and song after song, the reason why those songs are successful are not because of the artists. They're because your experience is in the room, like you personally. You know, you've those artists, you know, Sean and Chainsmokers and the Alex and the Dermots, like they don't have the the wisdom, we'll say, <laughs> that you know, that that you've developed over these years. And for you to bring that in and so well shaped their careers is it's just so admirable. I go and I write with a lot of younger Artists, but I've never broken any of those artists. I've been a part of you know some of their journeys and been on some of their debut albums, but I've never been the the reason why they broke. My the songs that I've had that have worked have happened when an artist already has gotten in the door a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's it's so hard. It's so hard to do what you've done, and you've done it over and over again. And I admire that. And I watch you, and you're one of those people where it's like, yeah, if you're in the room with them, I'm like. Man, why don't I get in the room with that? <laughs> because like, and the answer is because I haven't done what you've done, and I admire your work, and I, I, you know, obviously I'm a fan of your 
your manager and your collaborators and your wife and you know I'm spending a lot of time in New York in the next year so it'll be fun to share that with you guys looking but, forward to that but you know truly I'm 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 so impressed with your path and your demeanor and all of it so thank you again for doing this thanks for having me Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golden. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.